1: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Was this the bottom? Not so fast. After yesterday's horrific 1,100-point decline on the Dow, it lost another 567 points this very morning, but then spent the rest of the day whip sawing back and forth before ultimately rebounding like crazy in the afternoon. Dow only, re- only going up 567 points. Hey, same amount that it fell at the opening. S&P vaulting 1.74%. Biggest comeback since October 2011. NASDAQ surging 2.13%. So how much can you trust this bounce? A bounce that might be, be aided by some news tonight, like a great quarter from Dow component, Disney, a strong Akamai number, and get this, a fabulous report from Snapple on top of last night's uh, Rocket Fuel, which was a terrific report from communications semiconductor Skyward Solution, and a sharp guide up from the commodity chip maker, Micron. And those both matter. They're key to the technology cohort. Look, I think we cleaned out the bear den when we opened down that fabled 567 Dow points and then pirouetted hard for the rest of the day. I think we wiped out the weak-handed investors. That has to happen in order to be able to build a base to go higher. We dealt with some mechanical issues that exacerbated the decline. But unfortunately for the bulls, the fundamental issues that caused investors to get clobbered in the first place are still with us, even as the tape suddenly got a lot more bullish. We put all the money, for instance, we took out last week, last Tuesday, for the Chapel Trust back to work today and into the weakness. And we have more money we want to put, more, put into stocks But as we told members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, well, you can't chase a flying market. And once again, right now, we've got a flying market. Can't chase it. If you want to understand where we are, you need to know what caused us to get hammered in the first place. Because, unfortunately, many of these issues remain pretty relevant, even after today's rally. Remember, this decline didn't come out of nowhere. It had concrete causes. First, bond yields soared thanks to Friday's strong employment report. When interest rates rise dramatically, even if it only looks like a big percentage increase because it's coming off a very low base, investors become a lot more risk-averse, meaning they sell some stocks. For years, bond yields were too low to represent any real competition in stocks. But as they creep higher, treasuries represent a better and better risk-free alternative to the insanity of the stock market. It's tough to trust the asset class if it can do what it just did in the last 48 hours, isn't it? But really, the rise in bond yields is just one facet of this issue. Because the other thing we saw in that employment report was the prospect of meaningful wage inflation. Well, we haven't had to fear wage inflation for ages. But now that it's potentially, potentially rearing its ugly head again, it, it has an impact on the stock market. Inflation makes investors less willing to pay up for stocks because stocks are known as what we call long-dated assets. They're valued based on their future earnings potential. Inflation makes those future earnings less valuable because it erodes the purchasing power of a given dollar. There you have it. It's undeniable. You combine higher interest rates with newfound inflation fears, throw in some stretch valuations. And you can see why we had this meltdown and why we could have some more selling after a deserved rally. But if the direction of the decline was logical, and I am saying it was logical, we were due for a pullback, the velocity of the decline, well, that was absurd. This is important if you want to get your head around why we were able to snap back so rapidly this afternoon. See, I think the velocity of the sell-off was directly related to some abstruse financial instruments that ended up putting a ton of additional pressure on the actual S&P. If you really want to get into the nitty gritty, this small exchange traded product that people used to short the volatility index, the Velocity Shares Inverse VIX went bust, and it put immense pressure on the market itself. Now, I've often railed against these kinds of products, and this Inverse VIX thing, the XIV for short, was practically designed to fail. Should never have been built. But many hedge fund managers figured to take advantage of the market's placid nature. Remember, until a week or so ago, it was very placid by loading up on XIV, which was a way to bet against volatility. Of course, the VIX to have these huge spikes when the market gets clobbered and you least expect it. And that translated into the utter destruction of this inverse VIX product. Get this, it plunged from 99 to 7 in a single day, with most of that decline coming at 401. Yeah, when the market was closed. This matters because the owners of these pieces of paper pretty much got wiped out. And those of them who bought this junk on margin, they came in, they sold S&P 500 futures to raise money right at the opening. That was the proximate cause of the gigantic midday decline uh, yesterday. The one where I came on and said, listen, it's a flash crash, but I called it the Pats crash. And it's also why we went down 567 at the opening. I was here telling you it was phony and you had to buy it. I sure hope you listened. Hey, I only knew because I've been around for way too long. Now, though, we're digesting the uh, selling from this silly inverse uh, VIX product. Investors will uh, please pull your money out if you got it with any of these clowns. The other factors, the worries about inflation and higher interest rates, they're still with us. In short, happy days are not necessarily here again. Sure, we know the fundamentals of individual companies are terrific. We know the corporate tax cut will be very good for business. And we know that it's helping to finance gigantic buybacks that are very good for the stock market. All that was baked in. In fact, though, we now realize that the cake got overbaked. And that's the best analogy I can find to explain the sell-off. So how about what happens in the future? Isn't that what we really care about a man money? Have we hit bottom after today's miraculous rebound? In some ways, yes, but not so fast. Yes, we saw some good things in tech. We also saw it good in aerospace. I love the way Boeing acted. Heck, the food and drug stocks even got in the end. The last 20 minutes, they rallied, despite the fact that they tend to get hit hard by higher interest rates and higher inflation. Their dividends just aren't enough to protect them. The one group that still finished the day lower, the utilities. Makes sense. These high yielders are right in the blast radius of fears about rising interest rates. But the big thing is that the Standard & Poor's proprietary oscillator which I pay for, and measures when the market gets overbought or oversold, so important, fell to a minus 6.9 reading after today's close. Do you know that any time it goes below negative 5, that's considered very oversold and tends almost always to lead to a bounce, almost meaning that during the 2007-2009 systemic risk, it didn't. If you look at the history of the last three years, though, when it's been pretty good in the economy, we only have five periods where the oscillator got this low. And four of them turned out to be fantastic buying opportunities beyond what we saw today. Let's go over them so you know what I mean. The first comparable negative reading came in late August of 2015 when investors dumped stocks because they were worried about a slowdown in China. What happened? The market jumped 5.6% over the following week. The worry subsided. Or how about the January 2016 beating? where we got crushed by the vicious decline in oil, down to $26 a barrel. Once again, one week later, we had rallied 3.9% as oil regained some some altitude. We had a similar situation in February of 2016, when crude retouched $26, and the banks that lent to the oil producers revealed some potentially large losses. Same story, up 6% as oil stabilized. Finally, the last time we rallied after the oscillator was this low was back in November 2016, right before the election. One week later, we were up 3.9 percent. Wall Street got comfortable with the idea of a Trump White House. In fact, the only time we got this oversold and didn't rally over the next month was December 2015, when we were afraid of a government shutdown could be a redux this time. Back then, Congress solved the problem. Stocks gained 1.4% that next week, but they did fall 3.6% over the following month. But, you know, come on, still, four out of five ain't bad. The S&P oscillator is the best indicator I have, other than the news truck gauge. That's where I see local broadcast affiliates with satellite trucks parked at the intersection of Wall and Broad when I come to work. We had those in spades today. We got oversold. We rebounded. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything's all clear. Does mean that there are opportunities. So here's my bottom line. Today's bounce was a relief, but don't let it go to your head, please. Just because we had a big update does not mean we solved all the problems that caused us to get slammed yesterday and last week. Inflation and rising interest rates are still with us, and they are negative. But that said, today was a textbook example of why you never want to panic. Because there's always a better moment to sell than into the teeth of a decline. And more important, it's a terrific time to do some buying of merchandise spit out mechanically by instruments with faulty designs that were bound to blow up anyway. Well, man, money tonight, even if the redness declined yesterday, it's important to remember stocks remain a great way to create wealth. Case in point, I'm going off the charts after coining the acronym nearly five years ago to see if the group can continue to gain momentum over the long term. Then the market has been all over the place today. I know you got questions. I'm opening up the phone lines to talk it out. Very special strategy session. And last night I told you that it would be tough for this market to get its act together without Apple leading the way. With the stock rebounding today after getting slammed $6 earlier in the session, I'll tell you if it's time to consider the company's shares. So stay with Book, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Now alphabet. F- f- Fa fang, fang Alphabet, the parent of Google, the G in FANG. FANG! FANG! Is FANG... dead? FANG! F- fang Has FANG died? FANG! FANG! I mean, really. Hey, did you see I had the same outfit on for one of those fangs? But it was old, and that was before the Eagles won. Now, after all the things that went wrong with this market yesterday, the hideous losses, the Pats crash. Oh, come on. Humor me with that. The absurd after-hours action, and now the Dow roaring back in the afternoon right on sked, by the way. Why should you even bother with stock picking? What could possibly be worth having to do with an asset class that can turn on you in an instant, even if it rebounds somewhat the next day? Why would anyone want to put themselves through this kind of agony for de minimis ecstasy? Simple. Even when you account for the occasional horrific decline, the stock market remains the best engine of wealth creation mankind has ever devised. And when you pick the right stocks, the gains... Well, they can be downright stunning and much better than a passive S&P fund, just for the record. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Bob Lang, the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician the all-star team behind TheStreet.com's trifecta stocks newsletter. In order to illustrate exactly what I'm talking about here, Lang's newsletter is a must-read. Because here's the thing. Almost exactly five years ago, Lang had this idea for a cute acronym that would sum up the hottest growth stocks around. FANG, short for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, which has since become Alphabet. Hey, I like the idea so much that I shamelessly adopted it. Someone even goes so far as to say I stole it. I like appropriated best. Well, it didn't take long for the rest of the industry to follow suit with FANG. Now, the past week, it's been mighty rough on FANG. Alphabet disappointed, got hammered. Facebook reported what I view as a good quarter, but their commentary confirmed somewhat of a bearish narrative about the stock. And, of course, Amazon and Netflix got slammed yesterday along with the rest of the market, despite the fact that they're both doing very well. That said, let's consider how you've done if you bought the Fang names five years ago when we recommended them. Facebook has surged 547%. Amazon's gained 441%, Netflix has skyrocketed 967%, and Alphabet, the weakest of the four, still rallied 183%. On average, the FANG stocks are up 534%. That's a six-fold increase in just five years. That's why we try to identify individual winners. That's why it's not so futile to watch man money. That, uh, that's why stock picking is worthwhile. Normally, you'd only expect to see such mammoth gains from tiny, small-cap stocks. But these are some of the largest companies on Earth, and they're right in front of you. They're like the purloined letter, to use a literary Mm. reference. To put their moves in perspective, the Nasdaq's up 124% during the same period. S&P's up 78%. That's not bad. But Fang leaves the averages in the dust. More importantly, for the last five years, Fang has been incredibly resilient. As Lang points out, the so-called experts tried to crush these stories over and over again. They laugh at them. It's like, you know, it's like Carrie in the gym. I mean, none of it really mattered. Every time Fang bounced back, the group has incredible staying power thanks to the visionary leadership of Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, Reed Hastings at Netflix, and Eric Schmidt and Larry Page at Alphabet. They got big support and cast there. The question we need to ask ourselves now, though, is if Fang can continue to perform this way. I mean, think about it. After five years of incredible performance, hundreds, hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap created, can these stocks really have more upside? Or are we suddenly in a not-so-brave new world where we need to get more cautious? Has the law of large numbers been repealed here? Let's start with the daily chart of Facebook, symbol FB. Now, Lang notes Facebook is making a nice, consistent pattern of higher highs and and higher lows for ages. Well, this is bullish, right? But what about this ugly, ugly, ugly breakdown yesterday? Okay, the stock pulled back to 180, and then today it briefly dipped to 177, before bouncing back to close at 185. Lang points out that Facebook has a nice floor of support right here at just under 180, which clearly did hold, although, you know, you could argue, blah, blah, blah. Since last fall, the stock has bounced from this level three times. Will it bounce again? Lang thinks so. He likes that the check in money flow, which measures the level of buying and selling pressure in a stock, has remained positive. A little itsy-bitsy there. Indicating the big institutions still have an appetite for Facebook. Put it all together, he wouldn't be surprised if Facebook can make, make a move to 200 in the not-too-distant future. Don't you want to capture that? I know I would. Well, I do. My chapel is the biggest position. How about Amazon's daily chart? Well, Amazon pulled back hard yesterday. That was only after the stock's truly remarkable run. A little more than three months ago, this was a $970 stock. Now it's a $1,442 stock, thanks to a couple of incredible quarters. Remember, Amazon reported fabulous numbers last Thursday after the close. The stock surged up more than $100 on Friday, but then gave up most of these gains as the market rolled over. Lang likes that the check in money flow has stayed strong here. And he also likes that the stock's recent rally happened on strong volume. There's really a lot to like with Amazon, which is why Lang sees it making a run to $1,500 man on my ever on board. I've called this stock my favorite to buy since it reported right through this dip or sell-off or correction or whatever you want to call it. Amazon, now more than ever? Then there's the daily chart of Netflix. Two weeks ago, Netflix rocketed higher thanks to a very strong quarter, and the stock spent the rest of January flying. But just like the other fang names, it pulled back in recent sessions. What matters is this picture. First of all, Lang likes that these declines happen on falling volume. See, volume went down while the decline happened. Remember, volume is like a polygraph for technicians. Weak volume suggests the move is lying. Meanwhile, Netflix has a nice floor of support at its 20-day moving average, okay? Uh, Currently at 242. And the change of money flow is still very high, meaning the big institutions continue to lap the stock up. Lang believes Netflix can go from 265, where it is now, to 300. I'll take it. Finally, there's Alphabet, the company formerly known as Google. Check out this daily chart. Alphabet fell off a cliff after it reported last Thursday. Yeah. Uh, And then it got slammed still further yesterday. This is the one fang component that Lang's not feeling quite so sanguine about. The Moving Average Convergence Divergence, or MACD indicator, which is a tool, of course, that helps technicians detect changes in the stock's trajectory before they happen, just made a bearish crossover. Mm, where the black line goes over under the red one. These MACD crossovers tend to be surprisingly reliable signals. On the other hand, the money flow is still very strong with this one. In the end, though, Alphabet remains $85 above its 200-day moving average, with the stock just slightly positive for 2018. Put it all together, and Lang could see Alphabet bottoming out at the current levels. He thinks the 1050 level, 1050, would be a buying opportunity. Yet if the stock can settle down a bit, he wouldn't be surprised if it could head back to 1,200. But he says it's probably going to 10.50 first. I think it will steer clear of that low level. But I'm getting a little fed up with it for my charitable trust, which you follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. And if it gets back here, you know what? Yeah, it might be time to hit the exit. I'm getting tired of this one. Now, here's the bottom line. For five years, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet survived everything that the bears had to throw at them. And each time, they came out stronger than before. The charts, as interpreted by the incredible Bob Lang, suggest that this time may be no different. Alphabet, you know, he does expect Alphabet to pull back some more before he can find his footing. But as for Facebook, Amazon, and Netflix, he's optimistic. Me, I remain a fang stalwart. And I just want to add the obligatory A, fang, Apple, to the Lang Kramer acronym. Now, there's much more mid-money ahead. There are plenty of unknowns out there and some unknown unknowns, but I've got your back, Kramer. Arca. After so much volatility, I'm opening the phone lines for a special strategy session. Man, I told you Apple would have to lead the way in order for the market to rebound. How's the stock fairing today after today's volatility? I'm taking a closer look. And now that the market's settled down a bit, I use the term lightly after yesterday's slacking. I'm searching through the rubble and circling back to a company that put a really solid quarter right before the breakdown. Don't miss my exclusive with a technology company that happens to be in the oil business, Core Labs, to see where the stock could be headed. And, of course, stick with Kramer. Uh, talk about a roller coaster ride. Bye, 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 bye. Stocks are all over the map after yesterday, and they closed strong after a long-overdue sell-up. As long as you stop panicking on these huge down days... You can find the opportunities in stocks that we both want. So let's dig deeper into this crazy day and make sense of the Dow's ride from low, down 567, to high, up 567. I'm opening up the phone lines. Take all your calls. And it's a special sell-off strategy session. Why don't we start with John in my home state of New Jersey. John. Jimmy Booyah from Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Basking Ridge, New Jersey, you know that inexpensive town. Oh, boy, yeah, that's, kind of yeah that's, um, uh, that's a good zip code. What's up? Yeah, it's a well, It ain't Well, so, it ain't been too good the last few days. Anyway, listen, Jim, here's my question or my concern. I'm all in. What do I do? I hear people moving money around. You know, get out of this. Do that. I hear the Nigerians put, you know, put a put in February and then put another put in April. I don't even know what they're talking about. I put everything in. That's my put. I got 82% in equities, 14% in fixed income, 4% in cash. So I got where to go. I use that cash, you know, to run the family and a little bit extra to go to the very end uh, uh, once in well, a while. Well, let me ask you, what's the time frame that you might need the money? I mean, if we're talking 10 years, and you're—I don't know how old you are—but that might be okay. I, not, not for 10 years. Well, I mean, what I—you know—look, if you're investing for the long term. Yeah. Then I'm not even uncomfortable with that. With that uh, makeup, if you need to be able to raise some cash uh, because you might need it within, say, the next five years, then I think that this bounce back, which I expect from an oversold reading, would be a time where you should lighten up and take that cash position from four percent, maybe to a more reasonable eight percent. That's what I would do if I were you. Let's go to Brett in Massachusetts, please, Brett. What's going on, Jim? Uh, Congrats on last
2: night or two nights ago. The only one you're going to get, Big tax Spaniel. Listen, I'm curious as to what's going to happen to my financial stocks in regards to the sell-off. I'm wondering if the tax bill is going to protect it or further hurt it.
1: Yeah, you kind of stunned me there. I'm trying to figure out why I should answer Brett in Massachusetts' question. I mean, with the disrespect Uh, he just showed me. But you know what, Brett? You sound like a nice enough fella. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who uh, felt that no matter what, Stocks had to go higher because the companies got all this new money. What they didn't count on is the companies themselves, in many cases, the CEOs are saying, whoa, I mean, we're doing good, but we're not doing that good. So you may not have the, uh, the buyback underneath like you thought one other time. Also, I mean, let's remember, January was the most that the public has ever, has been in, in years and years. And because of that, and because I think they're in, because of the tax code change, we got overheated. And now we're cooling off. Kind of like, you know, I made some broccoli last night. And I think hey, broccoli's so good for you. But, you know, if you put it right in before you let it cool, it burns the heck out of your mouth. Apropos of my new diet. Kosh in Virginia. Kosh.
0: Uh, hey, Jim. Um, thank you so much for being of service and helping others. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you, man.
0: Um, I can really tell. All you there is can, can really tell that you really... Have a good heart, and you care for
2: others.
1: Ah, uh, so thanks thank a lot. You. you know, can never care enough is my take. How about this? Chris Long donated his paycheck from the Eagles to a uh, good yeah. cause of, of racial harmony and and, intel, and and learning. I mean, I got to get more like him. <laughs> you mean the man, you are like him, Jim. You are like him. God, he's he's <laughs> the best. How can I help? So,
0: um, this week has felt like like a Fred Stanford cardiac market. You know, it almost felt like the big one, you know, um, although I know, um, I know it wasn't no. the big one, right. Um, many investors like me have bought, have bought stocks within the past 12 months. Okay. And, um, and it would have short term capital gains if we, if we sell or trim,
1: right.
0: um, you often, you often say that we should take profits from winning stocks,
1: Well, you know, let's understand, Kosh. What I say is I don't want the the people to turn gains into losses because they're afraid of paying taxes. Because in 2000, Hmm. people had gains. They didn't want to take them. It turns out they didn't have to worry about the tax man. They lost all their money. That's what I'm saying, which is why I think it's okay when stocks get too overheated to do what I did for my charitable trust last Tuesday. We took some profits in stocks I really liked but we put the money back in as the market comes down. Let's go to Jacqueline in New York in the special strategy session. Jacqueline.
2: Hi, Jim. Booyah.
1: Booyah. What's I'm, going on?
2: I'm a teen investor here with my mom. What stocks or sectors do you think will pave the way for the rebounds to the market?
1: All right, and Jacqueline, think- the market always speaks directly to us. It tells us things after big declines. It shows you what's going to bottom and lead us. And what it shows you was it's going to be technology. The tech sector aided by last night's Skyworks Solutions Great Quarter and Micron's pre-announcement better, and then probably helped tonight by Snap and a good number from Akamai, telling us that that's where the money's going. And may I suggest, in a shorthand, it's Amazon. But let me ask you, when, but my, Amazon's the one that I think is going to be the rocket ship. Ooh, like Musk. When did you start investing, Jacqueline?
2: Uh, my mom started out for me, and she taught me how to do it. Uh, I started... Uh,
1: she has Micron now. We've been buying it um, for years, and we're wondering if the um, if cycle is at the end of... Um the semiconductor cycle, or it still has
0: more room to run? Well, Jacqueline,
1: that is the problem. I mean, yes, we had a really nice move today because they said that business is better than expected. But if that stock doesn't take out its high, and I'm not really a technician, but if that doesn't take out its high, then I'm going to begin to worry. Because, Jacqueline, you and I both know the way Micron trades, which is that it goes up and up and up, and then when it reports an unbelievable quarter and it doesn't take out its high, that is off in the top. Because in the end, they make commodity semiconductors. I think you're okay now. It's a very inexpensive stock. But we also know it gets expensive when the earnings come down. And I think it's great that you got your daughter started. That's what people have to do. I preach that. I sure hope people listen. You obviously are. Let's stick with New Jersey. Let's go to Manny in New Jersey. Manny. Coach Kramer, how are you? Thank you for taking the call. For the last 15 years, I've been funding my daughter's 529 plan. Now it's fully funded. She is ready to go to college now in the fall. With all the volatility and the dire predictions from all the talking heads, should I take the money out and park it safely, or should I keep it in the 529 and just use what I need? No, no, you got to take some out. I mean, I, I'm a big believer that you're needing that money now, and this market, after what we just saw in the last 48 hours, is a little dicey to be able to have all that tuition money that you saved kind of, let's say, rolling the dice with it. You have won, sir. You have won. You, the, you only need to win once, and you've done it congratulations. Don't give it up. Okay, much more Man Moneyhead. The next time analysts back down Apple, I got an idea for you. I'm going to explain it. Then, I'm talking to the CEO of Core Labs to see how the stock was able to hold up so well during the sell-off. And all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. Thank you, callers to Kramerica. I see you on the street. I see you all over the country. Boys, does it make me feel terrific. I hope it does the same. i got your back. Stick with Kramer.
2: tomorrow kick off the trading day was squawk on the street
1: live from post 9 at the NYSE froggy master sound, I sound yes. like the froggy master because you know, I lost my voice yelling about oh, the eagle I understand I, influ- I influence gonna, the trade are you going to be wearing green for the rest of the year or does that well I think it's from here till St. Patrick's day St. Patrick's okay so all we got a little while a little over a month yeah. to go
2: it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern
1: Last time I told you it'd be tough for this market to get its act together without Apple leading the way. Today, after getting knocked down a couple of bucks early in the session, Apple stock turns around and rebounds like crazy, ultimately closing up $6.54. And yes, leading the way for the entire market with its bullish pivot. Glad we got that right. What makes this all the more impressive is the fact that Apple stock is coming back even as it's under constant enfilading fire from the so-called analyst community. Maybe they should call it a village, not a community, because it takes a village to be as wrong as many of these guys are on Apple. (laughs) Ever since the world's largest company reported last Thursday delivering strong top and bottom line numbers, but a lackluster iPhone sales forecast, the long knives have been coming out. But I think Apple is at its best when the analysts are at their worst. Right now, the bear case we're hearing all over the place is that the new iPhones, the 8 and the 10, are such a disappointment. The demand is so lacking that this cycle might turn out to be the iPhone 6 cycle all over again. That was their last suboptimal product launch. Apple rolled out the iPhone 6s in September 2015, and the response to the consumers was indeed tepid at best. Uh, these are the ones that would bend out of shape when you put them in your pocket. All told, the stock plunged nearly 30% from its highs in late 2015 to its bottom in May of 2016. I think you're going to hear this comparison a lot going forward. But, And this is a gigantic, but I think the analogy is totally bogus. The Apple of today is in much better shape than the Apple of early 2016. First of all, just look at the darn numbers, for heaven's sake. When the iPhone 6 hit the market, Apple experienced a major slowdown. It is true. The first quarter it was on the market, the company saw just 2% revenue growth. By the second quarter, Apple's sales and earnings both shrank by 18%. The quarter after that, they had 18% revenue shrinkage and 23% earnings shrinkage. A lot of shrinkage. In short, back in 2016, the numbers did get annihilated, and estimates had to be slashed left and right. The stock only stabilized after CEO Tim Cook came on our show when it was trading around 93 bucks, and assured us that everything would be okay and that the best of times lay ahead for Apple, including lots of very strong products that customers would love. Good call. Tim Cook delivered, and the stock has given you a phenomenal gain since then. However, now many analysts are saying, well, forget about that. Just like we heard during the iPhone six cycle, they're telling us Apple's best days are behind it, and it's spooking many, many people into trading the stock sell, 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 rather than owning it. Here we go again. The rhetoric may be the same as the iPhone six cycle, but you know what? Frankly, nothing else is. Let's compare that situation to right now. Next quarter, these same skeptical analysts are projecting that Apple will generate 17 percent revenue growth not shrinkage, and 30% earnings, growth, not shrinkage. Even if they end up disappointing, Apple's results will still be in the positive territory. That's nothing like 2016, where the numbers were actually at decline. Beyond that, we went over what Katie Huberty of Morgan Stanley, the single best analyst who covers Apple, has been saying to those who are smart enough to listen, she points out that unlike 2016 when China was decelerating, these days Apple's taking market share and growing like crazy in the People's Republic. It's everyone else there that's kind of doing poorly, which is terrific, I think, for Apple's future. Meanwhile, the company's service revenue stream, Apple Music, Apple Data, and so on is going like a weed. It's an 18% clip. This was a much smaller part of the equation two years ago, and it's now starting to take on the razor, razor blade business model that's so sensational for shareholders Because it's like an annuity, a growing one at that. I pay it. I don't know about you, I'm totally insensitive to my Apple bill, especially since I love to have my pictures backed up on the cloud. I mean, how about you? How do you feel? I mean, don't you feel the same way? Come on. The only bills I never bother to scrutinize these days are, let's see, my Netflix, my Costco, my Amazon Prime, and my Apple. Everything else I put under the microscope, I just pay. I mean, I see it in my my email. I say, okay. I mean, they could double the price. I think hardly anyone even noticed. I mean, maybe triple it for home's sake. And, of course, there's all that that Apple Cash. They don't call it that, but I like it. Apple Cash, and they could repatriate it, which the company could use to buy back stock or raise the dividend. Now, Morgan Stanley's Uber is saying that if Apple returns $163 billion to shareholders, yeah, you heard that number right, $163 billion, its stock is now selling at just 11.2 times her 2019 fiscal year earnings forecast. That makes Apple cheaper than most of its information technology peers, despite that rapidly growing recurring revenue stream. I will go one step further because she only covers tech that actually is cheaper than almost every stock I follow. And I, I follow, like, 500 S&P stocks. Yep, Apple has the firepower to buy back 20% of its share count, and it's growing its installed base to 1.3 billion users. By the way, that's a 30% increase in two years. And they're all candidates to make more and more recurring revenue product streams. This stuff has really high margins, too. Apple had a much smaller base during the disappointing iPhone 6S cycle that so many allegedly bullish analysts are comparing it to. Of course, most of these uh, bullish analysts are simply bears in bulls' clothing. Look, I hate to chase, but the next time the negative analysts manage to knock Apple down, and they'll do it. It's in their DNA. I think it's a terrific buy. Let's not allow the bear attacks to scare us away from the greatest consumer product story on Earth, the one with the best technology that just keeps improving. Oh, and do you think these negative analysts right now are blasting Apple on Samsung phones? You think they're dialing up their Nokia? Please. They'd sooner lose a hand than give up their iPhones. Maybe both. And money's back into this right It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate? It's time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Ron in California. Ron.
0: Mm-hmm. Hi, Jambuia, Booyah. Booyah.
1: viewer and listener,
0: first-time caller. Oh, good, My Excellent. question is, my question is, granite construction is it a buy with Grant's or without? Very good,
1: I'm um, more partial to U.S. Concrete and to, um, frankly, no, I just let's call it U.S. Concrete because you got it nationwide, and that's what you really need. Let's go to Craig in New York. Craig, MGP ingredients. Get some sleep. Now I don't need no steak and sleep. That I won't be able to think about the Eagles. Okay, here's the deal. That is a really interesting company. We got to do a segment on it because it's about ingredients and additives. A lot of people tell me there's a lot more to it than that. We're gonna dig deeper. Cameron in South Carolina. Cameron. Oh Jim. Ford Motor Company. Seems like a value uh, trap to it, me, sir. It's a got bagu- a 5.5% yield, but you know what? It don't matter if it's not going down. 5.5 doesn't get you there. I'm staying away. Let's go to Arnold in California. Arnold! Jim, love your show. Do you, you still like Chesapeake Energy? I haven't liked it for like 10 years. I mean, so I can't really get on the Chesapeake bandwagon. It feels like kind of like Cleveland Brownish to me. Let's No offense, love the city. Let's go to Dennis in Michigan. Dennis! Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. No, I'm a SACA's Medicines Company, MDCO. Listen, we got United Healthcare. We're not going to fool around with this other stuff. That is my go to choice in that sector. We need to go to David, New Jersey, David. Greetings, Jim, from New Jersey. My question is about Atlassian Corporation, symbol T-E-A-M. Oh, man, is I like story- those guys. That's an Australian fella. That is a terrific, very inexpensive program that gets everybody to be able to be together in their, in, uh, in a company. I like that. Notice it didn't even come down. Symbol team, T-E-A-M, kind of like E-A-G-L. Well, you get the picture. Let's go to Gary in Washington. Gary. Hi,
0: Jim. Uh, thank you for the call back. I'm a physicist that's turned into a stock player due to you, and I enjoy it. <laughs> and I thank like you. your rationale too. Um, I'm looking at AVAV or Aero Environment, and their farm plan as far as drones go with respect to the climate stuff that's happening in the Midwest. What do you think they're going to do?
1: I think that there's a private company that I know that also does agriculture. They've got re- they do have uh, agricultural drones that actually, I think, may, may be able to give this company a run for the money. And I like the military side more than the ag side. It's down 15% about for the year. I'm a, call me a buyer, not a seller. Let's go to George in West Virginia. George.
2: Mr. Kramer, I like what you do. Thank uh, you. I've got a bunch of ConAgra. I'm wondering if I should hold on or move No, oh,
1: it's fine, ConAgra. The problem is, is that there's no real thesis right now to buy these food stocks other than a takeover basis, and I don't recommend a stocks sort on of a takeover basis. And that, ladies and of the lightning round.
2: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Now that the market's begun to settle down, the aftermath of yesterday's lacking. Eh, Maybe it's time to pick among the rubble. This is the moment where you search for the ashes for high-quality stocks that may have gotten hit harder than they deserve. How do we know something is high-quality? I like to circle back to the companies that just reported solid quarters right before the big breakdown. Take Core Labs CLB, the technologist of the oil service space. These guys use their tech to help oil companies analyze rocks and fluids in the reservoirs, showing them the best place to drill in order to get the most oil out of, out of the oil fields. Now, the stock of Core Labs had the misfortune of reporting a robust quarter last Wednesday, not long before the entire market started rolling over. The company delivered inline sales and earnings, and management told a real bullish story on their conference call about how oil producers will keep adopting Core's technology in order to drill more efficient wells. Plus, with crude back in the 60s, even if it pulled back in recent days, we're seeing offshore drilling make a bit of a comeback, which again translates into more business here. I think that's why core shares have held up so well during the sell-off, only dipping 5% on Friday and Monday and bouncing $2.67 today. So does this stock make sense here? Let's check in with David Dempster, the chairman and CEO of Core Laboratories, get a better sense of how this company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Dempster, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Hey, Jim. Thanks for having us back on Mad Money. And how about those Iggles?
1: Uh, Well, oh, don't get me started. I won't be able to think about anything else. That's why I wore another green tie. I got about a half dozen of them. All right, David, this was a remarkable quarter. And one of the things that was remarkable about it was you explained that your company is more levered to technology than just the oil price. I want people to understand that so they don't just say to themselves, well, wait a second, if oil goes down $5, I should sell my core."
2: Not so, uh, Jim. Uh, the application of technology is catching on more and more in the oil field. If you just look at the efficiency of drillers in the US in these unconventional plays, breakeven used to be up somewhere around uh, $80. Breakeven now is down around $40. It's a lot of applications of core lab technology that d- helps them do two things. Number one, produce more oil and gas every day, and number two, produce more oil and gas over the life of the field. Right now, on average, an unconventional play only produces about 9% of its total in-place oil. With CoreLab technology that we're developing, we're hoping to increase that number up to maybe 14 or 15%, which would be a 50% increase in the amount of recovery from these unconventional plays.
1: Well, I think you, uh, and I want people, I urge people, you have a really great conference call where you have a lot of people speaking, and each one's got so much to add. I like this line from you, which you just say, Uh, That your major clients regarding capital management return invested capital free cash flow and return the capital back to their shareholders. That's what they're doing as opposed to just growing production and destroying capital at any cost. Please explain that to us.
2: Jim, if you look over the last 10 years, uh, starting back in 2008, We had a strong run from 2008 all the way up to 2014. During that period, however, a lot of the explorers in the U.S. and worldwide destroyed capital. They were spending more money than they were going to recover from producing oil and natural gas. So what we're trying to help them do is get a better return on that. They will drill fewer wells, but they will drill better wells. And that's gonna be critical for them to increase the return on invested capital increase share price, and also return capital back to their shareholders.
1: Now, David, have you seen any diminution of competition during this period? I mean, you always made your balance sheet. You care tremendously about your balance sheet, tremendously about your shareholders. You didn't throw money away. I know others did. Are you? Have you taken share now from some companies that, frankly, their eyes were too big for their balance sheet?
2: Well, I don't think we've taken market share, Jim, but what we've done is we've created some market share. For instance, in this enhanced oil recovery, in unconventionals, no other company out there was thinking about that. Where we started to put in place projects two years ago, we continue to work on that today. So we might not be capturing market share, but we're creating new markets for CoreLab to thrive in. And
1: in this creation of new markets, are they uh, getting any lift from the fact that oil is now in the 60s versus, say, 26, as it was in January of 2016?
2: Oh, for sure. You see great companies like Pioneer Natural Resources, uh, EOG, Occidental, Chevron Shell, BP. These guys have all gotten a nice lift on share price. And if you look at BP's numbers this morning, they sported some very, very nice returns and some very, very nice discoveries that they've made over the last couple of years.
1: All right, so how do we feel about oil uh, price in general? Or can we just kind of say, you know what, as long as it stays in this area, let's not need, we don't need 80 We don't need $100 oil. Core does fine here, and if oil goes a little higher, even better.
2: Well, I, we couldn't agree with you more, Jim. You keep it between, between 60 and $80. Uh, we're very happy on that. If you look at worldwide production, the world has drawn on inventories now 17 months in a row. So worldwide inventories are now right around 40 days of supply. Usually at that level, you start to get very stable oil prices. Once we dip below that, 40-day in inventory, we start to get increases in crude prices, and we think that's going to happen over the next six or so months.
1: Well, if that's the case, then uh, it makes it, it makes it understandable why Core stock has held up as well as it has. Also, makes it understandable why the stock can go even higher. David Dempshire, Chairman and CEO of Core Labs, thank you so much for coming back on Man Money. Look, uh, oil, it does act better. But more importantly, technology is creating new markets. You heard what David Dempshire said. That makes me like CLB all the more. Stay with Kramer. We got a case of send out the clowns with the explosion of that abstruse VIX instrument. It caused a lot of selling at the open, and then, boom, the S&P 500 oscillator that's private that I follow, says we're so oversold that we could rally for some time. But remember, inflation, interest rates, going in the wrong direction. So we cannot get cocky. It's a changed landscape, and it's not as good a landscape as it was even a month ago. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise i just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.